City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. And you're listening to City Limits and you're on 3CR and um, you can also podcast this show for uh, listeners that are not listening live. Uh, welcome to any of our podcast listeners. Um, I'm Meg Kimber. I'm here in the studio with Karina. Hello, Karina. Hello. Who's our fantastic paneler. So until recently, I panelled as well as trying to speak, and that kind of multitasking is incredibly difficult. So Karina does an amazing job of keeping all our levels good. Yes, and then additionally adding a, mm. Mm. that's right, Kevin. Some comments sometimes, which is good, because when you first started, you said you didn't want to talk at all, right? Yeah, well, I have to make a promo for the training, so I might as well use this with my voice in it. Hey, Nice. Have you, have you finished your training? Yeah. Right. She's very good, oh, isn't she? And yes, here's she Kevin. <laughs> Rushing in with a pot of tea and a couple of cups in my hand, yep. And uh, Just want you to know, Kevin, it wasn't my idea to go to air without you in the studio. That was Karina. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Well, I think it's probably, probably listeners think it's a bloody good idea. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 9am, what is this? <laughs> yeah, we're starting on time. We started on time last week, I think. Wow. Well, yeah. I wasn't here, so I'm not sure if that, if I wasn't here, I don't know if that had happened. No. Well, I think it did. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm trying to think back a week, which is for me difficult. It's pretty hard. But uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I think we did. Karina, how are you feeling? You, I'm doing I well. I had my good. gallbladder out yeah, last that's, week. That's right. I didn't want to say what it was in case you didn't want to say on air. But you've had a <laughs> an oper- had an operation <laughs> oh, in the last mind. week. Yeah, I sh- probably shouldn't be on my bike, but I don't want to catch public transport right yeah. now. Just call me paranoid. Mm-hmm. And there's a seat there anyway. You can get off your bike because there's a seat there anyway. So what? She just oh. said she shouldn't be on a bike, so she, uh, okay. it's under there somewhere. Kevin's obviously. being really literal. Yeah, being stupid. Um, <laughs> totally stupid. Uh, okay, now I'm going to pour some tea. We want a cup of tea? Yes, please. Yes, please. It's, Thanks, Let's Kevin. tell people what's on today. It's energy day. It's that sort of a utilities, etc. type day. And we're going to talk about a few general things up front. But also in the second half, we're going to have one of our regular, uh, regulars, Professor Paddy Moriarty, Professor Moriarty from Monash, to talk to us about over the summer, all the events that have happened and uh, the reactions to them and uh, moves, for instance, about hydrogen and uh, other things taking place. So, okay. Uh, we love having yeah. Professor Moriarty on the show. We do, and I know you want to raise the issue of uh, wind farms. Cause, uh, I drove uh, through a wind farm on the weekend and it was pretty interesting. These windmills are so huge. Um, so just... Curious about how they work, basically. Yeah. Well, Paddy says he has written some stuff on wind farms. So well, there we go. There are, so, it, right. so that's it. Um, okay, so we'll see how we go. Um, by the way, it's white tea this morning for those who weren't going to ask. Who's uh, playing at home? <laughs> it's right. drinking along at home. This could be a City Limits drinking game. It could be. Yeah. White mm. tea, everybody. It's white. It doesn't look white, but it is. Um, oh, it's yummy. Now, just as an item this week... Um, there was the Financial Review had what it called a business summit 
where the where everyone was um, just um, part of the business world. There weren't. I can see no Everyone's one there. Summiting who, together. No one representing whom we might call the people who ought to be represented. But anyway, that aside. But I found this interesting. Donald Trump's former economic advisor, Kevin Hassett, so he's got to be a pretty progressive sort of bloke, mm-hmm. um, says Australia's response to the virus crisis should not be, ca- be tax cuts, but direct cash injections to businesses ensuring jobs and cash flows are maintained. And I, I raise uh. that because the response seems to be totally <laughs> that you hand out money to big business. Yeah. It's a classic move. Uh, yeah, and in yeah. fact, I think I mentioned on the show last week, or maybe I didn't, there was a headline on the front page, the f- opening paragraph of a financial review story was the Business Council demanded the government provide this stuff in the budget, etc., etc., handouts to business, um, which is all very interesting because at, at what point, if you're a total believer in laissez-faire market forces and competition policy, and you say government mm. has no role in business, and in fact, if government owns a business that makes money, then that business, by right, should be part of the private sector because mm-hmm. it's much more efficient, as we know, and prices Absolutely. go down, as we know. We've yes, seen experiences indeed. of that. Over and over, we've seen that happen. So in all that, um, in all that, why suddenly does business believe that, given they also are totally opposed to anything that even smells of socialism? Exactly. Um, and yet they say it's the government's responsibility to give money and, in fact, in many cases, to pay their workers. So mm. Gig workers, casual workers, they're mm-hmm. saying the government should pay, not the bosses who've made money out of them over all this time. And, mm. and in, fact, um, you know, the, in fact, the taxi industry said that every taxi driver is a, a, a private business. Right. Of their own, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, well, lots, lots of the gig economy people say that about their staff, which yes, how they that's avoid right. That's right. Well, they're all contractors, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, but I'm just having a bit of trouble working this out. The, <coughs> on the one hand, yeah, okay. great belief in laissez-faire capitalism. Yeah. On the other hand, the government does have a role after all. They do. They do have a role in, in some key industries, yeah. definitely. Right. Um, I uh, might take that as a rhetorical question. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Because <laughs> I think rather it was. Well, I, I mean, it is interesting because I think <laughs> about this in terms of like um, creative industries as well. You know how like governments, like federal government, rolled all of these um, portfolios in together and put the arts in with, you know, um, fishing, um, I don't know, um, yeah, whatever, 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 whatever. Strange like, mixtures. I'm making this up. I can't remember what it was. But, um, you know, sort of like shove it all in a corner or something like that. Mm. And, and I think there's a kind of a feeling like, oh, we shouldn't fund the arts as well. But the f- subsidies that go to mining and forestry and these kind of industries are really significant yeah. compared to the amounts that go to the arts. And there's, and it's always, they're always talking about jobs. There's so many jobs in all of these fields. But the other thing is like, you know, taking away subsidies for students to study things like uh, create anything in the creative industries. That's my kind of like mm. bugbear at the moment. Plus they continue to say they can't afford one cent extra for those on the dole, mm-hmm. um, which everyone knows is a totally unlippable yeah. amount of money. And yet Absolutely they can suddenly unlippable. find billions in bushfires. And I know there were some people got money as well, but a lot of the bushfire relief money went to businesses and farmers, etc., mm. for, for their losses. Mm. Um and um, now, fair enough, maybe if they get it, but I, I don't, wouldn't mind them getting it if also people who are unemployed mm. and those in really destitute situations all the time, not mm. just in crises, mm. uh, received an adequate income. Mm-hmm. 
it would change a lot. It would indeed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, it doesn't and uh, yeah. they don't and uh, we are where we are. Here we are. But it, there are certain things, um, and I think the, the coronavirus, if it does really take off, um, and hasn't the panic been ridiculous? But anyway, that aside, crazy. You want to, yeah, absolutely right. crazy. Yeah. There's certain products I get regularly I just can't get at the moment. Like, right. There's a particular yogurt I buy that hasn't been on the shelves for days. Yeah. I make my own bread, but I'm getting flour has been a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, it's just, I mean, I did. St- Forever, I found it in the last week. I've been buying it just to, not to store up because I've been broke around it, but just to not run out of it sure. when I need it. All right, yeah. Because <laughs> I use a fair bit of it. Yeah. Mm. Sip of tea. Um, but the, there is there are positive sides to everything, including this, including us all getting older. As well, you aren't. Yeah, you are as literally, but I'm getting well. to the age of really being older, older. <laughs> and uh, the uh, and and uh, the the combination of the 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 coronavirus. But Invocare, Australia's biggest funeral group. Says is, is say their profits are soaring on a oh, higher death rate. Isn't that good? So my God. The, one of <laughs> okay. Australia's biggest funeral group, Australia. In fact, Australia's biggest funeral group is rubbing its hands because we're all dying. Oh, how nice! Isn't that wonderful? Lovely. Absolutely. They they have white lady and simplicity. In fact, they were um, they were fingered. I think we mentioned on the show they were fingered recently for sending some sort of non-payment or ridiculous overpriced 387 or something dollars in every bill they sent out for late payment, even though people hadn't. It was, one, oh. it was some sort of rort they was were pulling them? in. Oh, no. Yeah, that was them. That was that little lot. Mm. Now, I don't usually like to quote Andrew Bolt at all because I think he, I think he, he enjoys the publicity yes. um, of being attacked. But he did an article two weeks ago now, or a week before last, which he didn't get up around to mentioning last week. But mm. it's, it's an, another attack on Greta Thunberg for a start. Mm. But it's attacking her because of her Asperger's and autism mm. um, being on the spectrum. Mm. And I think the article... I'm surprised, in fact, groups involved around Asperger's and, and autism haven't come out and really attacked him much more strongly. I don't think they've come out at all. Really? Because um, really it's, it's just an attack on her disease more mm-hmm. than anything else. The, the reason why she's like she is is because she's got Asperger's and autism. Um, and he says, um, a Socri- um, Thunberg herself has claimed that her Asperger's is, is in, in parenthesis advantage because it helps her to think outside the box with clarity and without needing to really care about social codes. A psychiatrist tells me Thunberg's conditions indeed tend to encourage an absolutism, a failure to see the grey between the black and white and an unwillingness to make social compromises. So no wonder she describes global warming as much more dangerous than it is Mm. and demands solutions with which few people could actually live like no air travel. But who can blame Thunberg for wanting to preach and be happy? No, blame instead those who treat her as the saint to lead the rest of us out of darkness too. But it, it's, a, it's, it's nice a, that he talked to a psychologist before he Yes, wrote. it's a dreadful article. Yeah. And I, yeah. I raise that because I just think people, you know, it, it is such a such a prevalent disease these days. If they call it a disease, any illness, mm, it's an illness it. or condition anyway. Um, yeah. It's you know a lot of people. A lot of people are on the spectrum, um, and yet that it really is a total attack on yeah, on is. that illness, on that that condition. And how's the yeah. total condescension as well that usually comes with, um, you know, 
uh, neurotypical people talking about yeah. disorders, that's yeah. just like, oh no, she can't be held accountable for that. That's right. That's right. It, it's she's it's not, not. It's not her. It's her condition that's causing exactly. Yeah. So you know, hold like tell other people off. She's oh. just this poor, defenceless. You know, mm. that's right. Young, yeah, young woman. Yeah. Yeah. He goes. He quotes from mother's book. A mother, mother in the book talks about the condition, but of course, it, not. Not to attack her daughter, but he uses the mother's book to attack the daughter over it as well. So. Yeah, and funny that he goes like, "Oh, um, no conditions, no one can live in, like not ha- traveling, not in the air, like no, no. Ha- most of the world doesn't fly." Like <laughs> <laughs> that's so first oh, world. Oh, but Andrew, anyone else want to top up a tea at this yes, stage? Please. Okay, I'm topping up tea. All right, Karina wants some tea. Karina yes, as well. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's all very popular. This is good radio, uh, isn't it? It is great radio, yeah. and I'm about to um, say something else that um, isn't to do with tea, which is amazing. Ah. Yes, um, the the I don't know if you've copped them yourself, but if you if you're late paying bills for services like phones and power, etc., mm. you often cop a late late payment fee, mm-hmm. which I think is absolutely outrageous. I mean, it's a, but it usually means the person can't pay or forgot or whatever, but if they, yeah. mostly it's poor people who can't pay, and the poor therefore get hit with late payments because yeah. they're poor. Yeah. You know, it's a further penalty for being poor. But the government, at least, uh, is now saying it's going to take steps to stop uh, power companies from issuing late payment fees. Mm. But even so, the, the words are a bit strange. Uh, the Australian Energy Market Commission will introduce new rules regulating, quote, conditional discounting after research found nearly a quarter of residential electricity customers did not receive pay-on-time discounts, etc. But but they, they say uh, the rules will apply to both gas and electricity, preventing retailers from excessively penalising customers who sign up to discount offers and then fail to meet the strict payment deadlines. But excessively penalising is an interesting word. Mm. Um, and um, it doesn't say they can't do it at all, but they, they can't do it as much as they've been doing. I think that's what they really mean. But nonetheless, at least it's something. Mm. Um, I, my last phone bill, I got hit with a $15 late payment fee because I... I um, I forgot to take the. I meant to pay it when I went to lawn because it was due that week, and I hate paying anything before time. And usually, <laughs> you know, but um, and I forgot to take the bill with me. So by the time I got back, it was a week late, and I got a fifteen dollar fee. What? Yep. Rude. I got yep. four hundred on my last energy bill that I forgot. A fee. I had to take a Centrelink loan out to pay it. A fee or uh, like a fine? Oh. Oh God. Four hundred dollar fine. It's it's for paying late. It's a late yeah. payment fee, that's which is talking, essentially yeah. a fine. Yeah, that's what they're talking about here. With I think they're much higher with um, electricity companies. It's yeah. like crazy. If you if you sign some sort of contract locking yourself into something and don't meet the conditions, wow. uh, but of course they can usually change the conditions when they want to. They just send you a letter and say we're changing the contract. Yeah, yeah. I'd like uh, to send them a letter and just be like I've changed my that's right. conditions. That's about right. I'm, how I'm not going to pay you anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Uh, well, hasn't there also oh, been sorry. something with the energy electricity regulator body this is very vague but um uh mandating a certain minimum that has to be charged is that just me i don't know okay i'm not sure okay not sure but but it's okay to be vague because there's a city limits no problem (laughs) yeah I'll Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. Um, the, uh, this is really sad news, though. Um, when um, George Columbaris's uh, restaurant empire collapsed uh, financially, uh, 
owing $22.3 million. It only had $389 in the bank. Interesting. Which is a touch short of 22.3 mil. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, like about 22.3 mil. Yeah, short. about that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway... Uh, well, they've got, uh, have they got a few mil in, in some sort of philanthropic trust I, or something? I, I was just... My only comment would be uh, I hope George isn't quite that desperate. And I'm, I'd rather Only 380. Not. Jeez. Yeah, if, yeah, George, yeah. if you need a loan... Give me a call. Yeah. Well, we could. I mean, this other one was further story here. This is quite awful, actually. Um, uh, rich listers more focused on bargains than big losses. That means that as coronavirus, there's 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 opportunities to get cheap shares are going to go up again. See, it's right. very good. Some of these people are really onto it. Yep. Um, but some of the country's richest people have lost an average five thirty million per trading day since the market began crumbling amid coronavirus fears. More than 5.3 million has been wiped off the paper wealth of Financial Review rich, rich listers since the market's peak on Feb 20, including huge losses for mining baron Andrew Forrest. This is awful, isn't it? What mm. I mean. Media mogul Kerry Stokes, Glencore's Ivan Glassenberg, gaming billionaire James Packer. Oh, isn't that awful? Mm. And retailer Jerry, poor Jerry Harvey. Oh, dear <laughs> me. Now, I don't know. I was thinking when I read that yesterday, I thought to myself, why don't we abandon the 3CR Radiothon this year? Yeah. And have a weak fundraiser for, yeah, for, for these guys, for these people, yeah, because <laughs> they've obviously had it. It hits them hard. I mean, they feel yeah. it more because they they do. They do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you've got more expenses. They do. That's you know, right. that's right. How are they going to run the helicopters and stuff? They could end up playing bloody paying four hundred dollar extra on the electricity bill because they, they can't. Might. They, they yes, might not be able to pay it. No, that's right. They yeah. might have to go to Settling and get a loan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Now, there's also a case coming up. Um, it's going to hit court on Sept 2, but there was an earlier hearing last week, sort of those early hearings they hold. And um, the the Australian Building and Construction Commission, which is the jackboots commission to smash the, the building mm-hmm. unions, mm-hmm. Um, it's taken... Um, it's taken... Uh, which company it's taken uh, Lend Lease to court because there were Eureka flags on the site, which are seen as representing the CFMEU. Um, so they're actually taking an employer to court, but because they want to attack the union, of course. So it's it's, mm. it's not because they really want to get Lend Lease. Mm. But anyway, Lend Lease is appealing. They were they were banned from having. Lend Lease was told, you know, get rid of the flags or else it didn't. And so the case is going on, and the ca- this case is actually Lend-Lease challenging the ruling by the Australian Building and Construction Jackboots Commission. Um, but so it's it's quite interesting, and um, the the constitutional objection with their, what they're arguing is, and they, so I raise this because the union itself now has come in on the case and applied to be part of it. Mm. Uh, Supporting, in, as it turns out, Lendlease, I guess, in mm. in this case, but the 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 commission argues the flag, like union insignia and stickers, breaches freedom of association clauses in the federal building code, which regulates conduct on Commonwealth-funded building uh, projects and threatens to ban builders if they breach its provisions. Oh but God. the union and and Lendlease, I think, are going to say that it also breaches the rights of free freedom of association and communication 
under mm. under the constitution or under whatever. Mm. Uh, Lendlease is understood to be concerned that if it removes the flag, it could face legal action from the union for breaching freedom of association rights in the Fair Work Act. The ABCC said the court should not indulge the union's constitutional objection because none of the posters or flags qualified as political communication in a way that the implied right might offer protection. However, the good news is just, um, Justice John Snaden rejected the watchdog's argument that he should block the CFMEU from the case because its interests were merely indirect or contingent. So it's been allowed to... Um, hmm to be involved. But that case is not coming up till September, but it could be quite interesting when it does, I suspect. Because Gee. Uh, yeah. What is this commission about? Just getting in on people's workplaces and just being well, this dictating is, how they... This is part of what was that Royal Commission into the building industry, etc. And they set up the commission. They always put a total anti-union person in charge of it. Right. But it's been around for years. It's, it's, uh, it's been, you know, it, it's, it's the body that has fined the CFMEU millions and millions and millions of dollars. Mm. Uh, and in fact, um, it was promised, well, the Labor government in 07, in fact, promised to get rid of it. Um, mm. as part of work choices, but it didn't really. It simply re- reframed it, and uh, mm. and now this government's brought it back in in full. But it's mm. uh, it's a dread, just a dreadful anti-union body. That's uh, its role is simply to to smash and destroy those unions and stop mm. them carrying out union work. Like you know, they things like taking action on safety, etc., or stopping work on safety. Mm. They can be fined millions for just doing that. I mean, mm. it's just bloody mm. ridiculous. Um, the um, um, we mentioned last year sometime that Anthony Pratt and other very rich Australians have been have their beady eyes on the superannuation, the you know the many many millions and billions of dollars in superannuation. They want to get their little it to be hands in on yeah. private superannuation instead of yeah, unions. That's right. And the Banking Royal Commission made a bit of a mess of their brand because it, it fingered them instead of the uh, the union funds, <laughs> and that was a bit of a problem for them yeah. and the government. But they they fight on. And last week, Anthony Pratt in his um, circular key apartment hosted a superannuation type talk thing, mm-hmm. talk fest. A co-sp- co-sponsored it with Keating, who of course was the man who brought superannuation in. Um, and they had a meeting of all sorts of business people with Keating, etc., and Pratt to discuss uh, what should happen with superannuation, and they realised there should be more investment in in fixed interest investments, uh, etc. So uh, they they're coming up with all sorts of tricks to make sure the money ends up in their hands, essentially, and it mm. just goes on and on and on and on and on. And on the other hand, though, um, st- stats have shown, or in the last um, few weeks that many older people, and I guess some older people now wouldn't have been in super all that long. I mean, mm. it's been a few years, but younger people now, if they, if they can be working all their lives, will probably mm. have more ultimately. Mm. But people are coming out in retirement with, with not much security, and it pointed out that, um, that a large percentage, 38% of, of recent retirees are living on a very tight budget, about one in four retirees still work occasionally, and of them, 60% said the main reason they had to return to work was to help bolster their finances, etc. So, mm-hmm. so for any older people, um, it's not working too well anyway. But no. um, still, if Anthony Pratt and Co can get their hands on it, it's probably a lot That'll better. That'll work for them. Yeah, at least. that's right. It's I mean, so, at least it works for someone. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's yeah. right. Even it's, if it's, it's just sort of like five or six people. Oh, look. Yeah. Um, well, it's more than five or six. There's <laughs> their shareholders as well. Uh, and, you know, okay. If they got, I don't, don't know if this is a private company. I don't think it is. Maybe it is. Mm. Um, anyway, it's... Um, that's that. Also, we'll do some more on a couple of items as well in the next few weeks because there's been a lot about toxic soil. There's the toxic soil in the uh, in the tunnel, tunnel. Yeah. or the north, the southeast, yes. or whatever it's called, northeast, Not north west tunnel, or it's called yeah. northwest directional. Tu- let's just call it the directional the Westgate tun- tunnel. Westgate tunnel. tunnel. We'll call yeah. it. That's what it's called. Uh, but also um, where they want to dump it, they want to dump it at uh, Werribee. There was a big public meeting out there last week, which yeah. attacked the local member. Um, because he says it should go there, but they want to dump it near a school at Werribee. Oh, classic. Uh, and which can also get into the waterways. Mm. And and also now there's the talk about a school at Bacchus Marsh, so there's quite a bit going on in that Why area. Why a school? Uh, well, not at school, but near a school again. Okay. Uh, yeah, to, um, so it's near, near the school. And, of course, out at St Albans, they've discovered there's a whole estate on what may well now be contaminated land which has to be sorted out and oh, I think we boy. should talk to someone from there in the next few weeks as yeah. well but it's those things are, uh, are all pretty important 26 past why don't we play a song or something mm-hmm. and uh, and then get Paddy Moriarty on the line perfect <laughs> Oh, bugger me, good in ye, me been to this country Long time before Lord Rusty, all about land belonging to ye Poor bugger me, good in ye Poor bugger black fella this country, long time work, no wages we Work for good old Lord Rusty, little bit flour, sugar and tea Poor good in ye, from Lord Rusty, oh poor bugger me Oh, bugger me, Gurindji, my name Vincent Lengiari, me talk all about Gurindji, Dagorago place for we, home for we, Gurindji. But poor bugger black full of this country, government boss him talk long we, fill you house with electricity, but that wife he'll for can't you see, what a creek belong to Lord Bastille, oh poor bugger me. Poor bugger me, Lingiari, still me talk long Gurindji, Dagorago place for we, home for we, Gurindji. Poor bugger me, good in ye. Up come Mr. Prankadi. Up skull too and talk long we. Give it and long good in ye. Build him house and plant him tree long. What he creek for good in ye. But poor bugger black full of this country. Government law him talk long we. Can't give it land long black full of sea. Only spoil him good in ye, oh poor bugger me good in ye. Poor bugger me good in ye, Peter Nixon talk long we, buy your own land good in ye, buy him back from Lord Bastille, oh poor bugger me good in ye. Poor bugger black fella good in ye, suppose we buy him back country. What you reckon proper fee? Might be flour, sugar and tea from Gurindji to Lord Bassey or poor Bagami. Oh, into the bunting along and not a bring and young of a we are for Monday all a poor Bagami for a Gurindji.
Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dial. Well, okay. that was, yeah. Yeah, go on. Make announce that music. All right. That was Gurindji Blues by Gulawaru Unipingu. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Meg, I passed that to you with your mouth full of yes, a, you did. a bite of breakfast. <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of show that we do here. That's right. Breakfast. I'm eating breakfast in the Drinking tea, break. eating breakfast, yeah. and uh, probably Paddy Moriarty had his breakfast hours ago. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Sitting out, <laughs> you, sitting out at Monash. That, Paddy, yes. Paddy, welcome to the show again. This is first this Thank year, you. back again. Um, yep. And um, Paddy Moriarty, of course, is at Monash. He's... Um, you're an engineer, but you look at all sorts of things, don't you, Patty? Yeah, really, yeah, you yeah, do. Yeah. Um, look, just reflect on the summer. We had the, you know, a summer where climate change became such a such a major and unfortunate um, part of the part of our, part of the summer. But uh, reflecting on that, you and I mentioned to each other that uh, one, if there's a positive at all, it's forced the government to at least acknowledge the problem, even if it's going to do absolutely nothing about it. Yeah. So the thing is that. I mean, um, changes in temperature, average changes in average temperature from year to year, you know, um, it takes, you know, like 0.1 degrees per decade. People don't notice that because, you know, in, well, especially in Melbourne, the temperature can, can, between day and night, can be 20 degrees different, right? Mm. And from day to day, it can be, you know, 10 degrees. So we, we're like, uh, you know, today and yesterday and so on. So it's very hard to notice that. The only thing we will notice is... Um, Extreme events, really, and that, and uh, with the with the recent bushfires, um, it was a, it started with I think the Indian Ocean dipole, and a recent paper, in fact, published yesterday by a group of Australians mm. in Nature, uh, a journal, science journal, su- suggested that um, that this. Uh, Indian Ocean Dipole effect will in fact get more extreme uh, with with climate change, but it does occur naturally as well. Can you and explain that, that what that is, Paddy? Uh, <laughs> I'm not too sure myself, <laughs> right. but basically it does mean that that we get um, extreme temperatures in the uh, western, um, uh, sorry, eastern Indian Ocean, okay. and. Um, and that, if you have a look at the maps from December or January, the heat maps, Australia was totally anomalous. I mean, you'd expect the southern hemisphere to be warm in the north, but even compared with tropical countries, Australia stood out as being mm. hotter than average, right? Mm. And it leads so, to, uh, it, again, I can't explain how it happens, but it, what, at the end result is there's a lot less rainfall on the east coast when the diapole is really in, in a, really active. Yeah, it's also a matter of temperature, of course, increases evapotranspiration and um, therefore the, the uh, soil and the, uh, and the trees and so on are drier mm. and the, any material on the ground. Mm. Yep. Yeah, so, and we've long, of course, said the El Nino, et cetera, is the fix our weather, but this is now playing a key role in our weather, this diapole. Yeah, uh, the these diapole. are sort of teleconnections, yes. El Nino affects our, our, our weather as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, now, we've also, 
seen Paddy in the last um, in the last recent in recent well not just recently but for a fair while. Industry screaming out that we have to lift these moratoriums on gas in Victoria and New South Wales in particular. Um, PM demands more gas was a financial review headline a couple of weeks ago, for instance. Um, and they keep telling us that this has to be used as an interim measure as part of the fight against climate change. But but gas still creates major problems, doesn't it, from the environment point of view? Yeah, gas has has been viewed as a, a transition fuel. Uh, gas is mainly, or natural gas, is mainly methane, which is CH4, one carbon, four hydrogens. And, of course, hydrogen, so both parts, in fact, contribute to the heat produced when you burn it. And the hydrogen, of course, just burns to water, combines with oxygen, produce water, whereas the uh, carbon part produces um, carbon dioxide. So natural gas is, has a carbon to hydrogen ratio of one to four. Oil in, has a uh, carbon to hydrogen ratio of roughly one, one to two. So there's a lot more, the higher proportion of carbon. And uh, coal, of course, um, about 1.1, but uh, so you, you, as you move from gas to liquid to solid, you, you get an increasing proportion of carbon and therefore carbon dioxide when you burn it. So um, the trouble is that uh, the extraction of methane can release, um, and in fact the use of methane can release um, some considerable amounts of carbon, of um, methane, which is itself a uh, powerful greenhouse mm. gas. Um, some gas fields... Uh, the Natura gas field in uh, Indonesia, I think there's also about 30% of the gas field is in fact carbon dioxide, which they, they just release, right? Mm. So, and also um, in old pipelines, there is considerable leakage from the, from the gas mains. Um, a, a, a dedicated power station with its own new pipeline from the field, won't, that should be pretty clean. And combustion is normally regarded as about 99%. But it's these um, old infrastructure and the exploration and uh, and production of uh, uh, of natural gas, and of course um, the same would apply with um, uh, gas vehicles, uh, gas-powered vehicles, of which there are, are about uh, 20 million in the world at present, right? Not too mm. much here, but in uh, Pakistan, um, Iran, uh, uh, um, Argentina, there are large numbers, millions in each of those countries. Paddy, yeah. oh, when the when we're talking about gas, are we talking about the gas that people have at home if they have gas stoves and um, yeah, gas hot water and stuff? Yes, natural gas. Of course, yeah. for cars, we also use um, a slightly heavier one, which is um, uh, what we call um, LPG. Mm. Um, it's, the, the series is, the alkane series is, methane is number one, one carbon, uh, and then we have ethane, which is two carbons, and then three and four is uh, propane and butane, and mm. those... To uh, what we we call natural, uh, what we call LPG, mm. as you move up, um, they get easier to compress, and so on. That's why we use them in preference to uh, natural gas mm. because mm. it's easily easily liquefied. But we, um, of course, we're sending liquefied natural gas LNG um, yep. overseas at a great rate, um, but the companies here are, are loath to. Uh, include the scope three, which is, of course is the the pollution that the user, the buyer uses, as part of Australia's um, footprint, which many people are saying we should. Yeah, 
Um, in, in fact, um, uh, a petroleum wood site has just given, I think, between 20 and 40 million to Monash to study hydrogen uh, as a fuel. So they're uh, sort of worried about mm. the future of even natural gas. Mm. Which because is, is part of the problem with gas this whole thing of extraction and the move into fracking? Well, uh, that's probably not likely to happen here. In mm. America, um, of course, it's very widespread. Uh, mm. There are some technical reports uh, 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 that tend to suggest that uh, fracking won't last forever. In fact, um, it, it turns out that um, the uh, you have to keep drilling, right, because the uh, the decline in, in well production is very rapid. Mm. You know, in, in a few years, in just a few years, it just it just declines. So you've got to keep drilling uh, new wells. Mm. So um, and the same with um, shale oil. So uh, I mean, official figures show that this is going to um, continue for a long while, but others uh, <laughs> suggest that it may just be a flash in the pan, as it were. Yeah. Well, in fact, a government report a couple of weeks ago, looking at the annual figures, it claimed that. We'd um, our our overall emissions fell by only 0.3 percent in the last 18 months, the last 12 months, which means that uh, we're no, getting nowhere near our so-called commitment that we're going to do in a canter. Um, but also, it showed that um, that while emissions from within Australia's domestic energy network continue to fall, those generated by natural gas production increased by 16.9% in the same period. So it, because they're using more of it, in fact, it's increasing our pollution. Yeah, yeah. What the, uh, what the official t- figures tend, to, tend to, uh, to focus on is what is called carbon intensity or, or um, energy intensity. And that is the the energy uh, needed to produce one one dollar of of a GDP, or the carbon dioxide produced from one dollar of GDP, and this has been falling. But of course, the trouble is that the energy use has been rising overall uh, at a faster rate, which means that um, uh, that uh, both um, total energy use in the world and also uh, carbon dioxide produced from industry and uh, energy use is, is still rising. So, in other words. Um, Energy efficiency and energy intensity, they might be good things, but they're not going to solve the problem. Mm. In fact, they may, because of feedback effects, they may even make it worse. Um, this is what is called energy rebound. If, in fact, um, let's say a car is made more more efficient, it means that your fuel costs are, are cheaper for, 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 say, driving 100 kilometres, and therefore you will tend to drive more, right? Mm. And that's a feedback effect um, mm-hmm. Of, of of energy efficiency or or just lower fuel costs, you might be aware that um, at, at present uh, the price of oil is dropping very fast, mainly because um, uh, the of the um, reduced demand, but also the uh, the, the spat between Saudi Arabia yeah. and, and Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Exxon is saying it's going to it wants to um, produce more gas and, and it's looking at Bass Strait at the moment and. Uh, it says, and the bloke from there said, since drilling the first Bass Strait well in '65, our operations have delivered more than four billion barrels of oil and 10 million cubic feet of, or 10 trillion cubic feet of natural gas to Australia. But he, he makes that out to be really good, um, <laughs> and he says that even the operators of the Gippsland ESO, the operator of the Gippsland Basin Venture, has also been hunting for new discoveries in the Bass Strait and re- 
recently drilled the ultra-deep Sculpt 2 One well. No results have been announced. The well is the deepest offshore well in Australia and one of the last major hopes to offset declining production, etc. But if you're digging that deep, Patrick, are there, are there real environmental problems out in the ocean? Well, more so for oil, as we know, with the, uh, with the deep horizon production. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're drilling so deep um, just shows how, uh, and in the Arctic regions and so on, uh, uh, shows, shows how desperate we are to get the stuff, right? Mm. Um, because the easily produced stuff on land and so on and, uh, is, um, and, and from major um, fields is, is falling. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I would say that with gas, there's always a chance of a blowout with deep thing, but it, it'll be less, um, less of a problem than oil, <laughs> obviously. Mm. Yeah. Right, but the poor little fishies mightn't enjoy it. <laughs> What's the? Um, is there any kind of consensus in the academic um, area about how much longer? You know, this a few years, like a while ago, people used to talk about peak oil, yep. as if um, you know that was going to change something about how we consume energy, which our energy consumption just gets bigger and bigger, especially as other countries come online and want all of the benefits of energy which are there are many like a lot of a lot of countries can be safer for for women for example and like better lighting and better opportunities for education and stuff like that there's all these benefits of of energy but some countries are just like energy greedy really and having much more energy than they need and others need it and can't get what they need but this whole peak oil thing is there actually a is it likely that we've reached and and gone past that? Well, um, oil production oil production per head of population in the world is actually has been pretty constant for about forty years, right? right. So it's oil. Uh, we're pre- the world present uses about a hundred uh, million barrels per per day, right? right? Oh, it's fallen a little bit the last month or two, in especially in China, um, right? But, uh, so, uh, what? Um, uh, so yes, I mean the um, energy production is um, very un- unevenly distributed, especially uh, especially if you're talking about commercial energy production rather than um, including uh, firewood, uh, mm. traditional firewood, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, peak oil. Uh, it was talked about a few years ago. Increasingly, of course. People are now talking about uh, peak consumption rather of oil or right. or, or of fossil fuels rather than, rather than never peak production. In other words, if we do something about climate change in the last thirty years, um, it doesn't suggest that we'll do anything very yeah. anytime soon. In, in fact, we've had thirty years of uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change reports, and in that time, we've celebrated by by increasing carbon dioxide emissions by I think fifty seven percent. Right, so. Um, it's been less than, uh, than successful. Mm. Um, so uh, probably if you take all fossil fuels, I think we could continue, you know, at the present modest rates of increase for several decades. Right? Mm. I don't think there's... And if, in fact, we do something about climate change, then this will lead to what is called stranded assets. 
Now, this is a big worry, of course, for the uh, for the OPEC country and any other country that relies on on fossil fuels as a major part of their export earnings, right? Mm. And so these, uh, like the, the the OPEC countries, tend to be those uh, supporting Trump on the uh, say, uh, you know, ever say no to climate change um, mm. thing. So this is um, a problem. But uh, as I say, if we do something about climate change, then in fact, we will have peak oil or peak na- um, peak fossil fuel consumption rather than peak production. Right. Because mm. you've argued for years, Patrick, that the the solution to climate change or the solution to the energy crisis is in fact to use a lot less of it, and we really yep. have to readjust our lifestyles. Could you talk about that a bit? Yep, um, that's one of the conclusions that I haven't changed. For instance, electricity consumption, I think it varies, I can't remember, it's a hundred or a thousand fold between Iceland on the one hand and uh, Eritrea on the other, right? There's huge mm. differences. Um, I also learned the other day that um, as far as income is concerned, the, the, the top 25 um, have half... The income and the and the and the bottom fifty have half the sorry the wealth of of the world. Uh, the, the body the, the bottom fifty refers to to the world's percent, fifty percent, which is three point eight billion people, and the top twenty five refers to people. Right, so you can mm. see the huge inequalities, mm. and this is reflected in, in things like energy use around the world. Also, of course. Um, even within countries, uh, inequality is increasing, as is um, mm. energy in, in, in inequality. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you even have energy poverty in Australia for people who can't afford to to pay their energy bills, as we were talking about yeah. before. But, but getting back to, um, to Kevin's question, um, yes, I do think we will have to reduce uh, energy use a lot, especially in, in the wealthy countries, and uh, most, there have been a whole lot of social psychology initiatives to get people to reduce their household energy or, or their transport use and so on, and they haven't been successful. I think uh, climate scientists speak about external forcing of the climate, um, that is, because of, um, of, of the greenhouse effect. We get, uh, there's a, an increase in the in the um, in the net heat uh, received by planet Earth, I think something similar to climate forcing is going to have to happen to people to change their their, their views mm. uh, and and cut down on energy. Think of say um, the UK in the Second World War. Right, there was a massive change in the way people people lived. You know, with uh, rationing and um, asking, is your is your uh, trip really really necessary right we might ask them that again with uh, with the coronavirus but mm. up till now at least it's been you know every increase in transport has been regarded as a good thing right mm. so um i think I, I think the bushfire did cause some sort of change in australia you know for a few days there we were wondering what was just an inferno and with smoke even in melbourne and so on right mm. um i think we're going to see more of these sort of crises, and I think that will lead to people being more receptive to to change. And then they need the tools and support to make the changes. Yeah, and yeah. Up till now, yeah. up till now, um, information provision hasn't been useful. So no. the thing is that energy costs are actually only a fraction of what they were, say, say, two or three centuries ago for households, mm. and the incomes are much higher. So. Typically, it's only a few percent of of a, of a typical household uh, budget, so they don't really worry too much, right? Mm. So they're not really interested in in the fact Reducing that there's 
Yeah. yeah. Unless, of course, you're on the dollar or something and you can't afford it Energy's at all. Energy's pretty high. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. All right, uh, well, but, of course, yeah. there's also the fact that the, um, the, the fixed costs can, can be a major part of your mm, of, of your bills. Cost anyhow. It's yeah. like 90% yeah. of our bill. It's like, yeah, it's same massive. with me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there isn't much incentive to use less, right? Not at all, really. Uh, and although there are, you know, Same you can get water. every, yeah, mm. and, so, and you can get well, water's even worse. But you mm. can get every type of uh, mobile phone service. You know, if you want to pay a lot up front and or pay per call, you can do that. But with uh, mm. electricity, gas, and water, you don't have a lot of there's no difference between them, right? They all have pretty much the same fixed costs. You know, uh, the, the, yeah. the, the same rate structure. Is that because just on we are I asked this before you were um, on online, um, Patty. But is that because there's a it's regulated about the amounts that can and can't be charged? I'm not sure right. actually. Okay, um, don't worry, take be, that yeah. on notice. Yeah. I'll investigate yeah. in. I wanted to go into hydrogen, but I know Meg, you also wanted to talk to Patty about wind farms. wind farms. Do you want to raise that? Well, I don't. I mean, um, I drove through some wind farms on the weekend, Patty, and I saw this. Um, the way that they're put together and how huge they are. And um, there was actually a house that we drove by that had had a sign at the front um, opposed to the wind farms, which I wasn't sure. Obviously, you don't know these people personally, but I'm, I imagine you'd be aware of some of the... Um, Push back against wind farms. For, yes, in yeah. every country, uh, at least in Western countries, there yeah. has been um, opposition in mm. um, uh, Netherlands, America, Ireland, and so on. Right. Uh, See, the thing is that the, uh, the the bigger wind turbines now have a blade span of 100 metres. Huge, yeah. Which means, of course, that the uh, and the, the height of the hub has, is often uh, 80 metres above the ground. So right. they are pretty intrusive. Yeah. Um, farmers, a lot of farmers like to... Uh, uh, because they, they actually get a rental, an annual right. rental from them. Yeah. And... Um, you know, for a marginal farmer, this can make a difference, and it doesn't take up much of the land. You do have mm. to have access roads to every every turbine and so on, mm. and um, and you have to have power lines uh, from every turbine and so on. Yeah. Um, this is partly why there there's a push to have them offshore, especially in the North Sea, which is recently has uh, large areas of reasonably shallow mm. um, things. The trouble is. There, especially the North Sea, with its uh, very turbulent winter weather, you've only got a few months to work and so on. Mm. Also, um, one of the problems in Europe, of course, is that you have to get these huge, say, the blades, um, you've got to get them through local roads and so on. Right. And um, you may not be able, <laughs> they may just be too big, right? So offshore sort of may suit. But uh, even then, like in, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Nantucket and so on. Where do the uh, where do the Kennedys have their holiday house? Oh, it's uh, Mar- Hampton, uh, whatever that Vineyard. place. Yeah, that place. Yeah, Martha's, yeah, Martha's Vineyard. Well, 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 yeah. Well, well, they were complaining the even about the. Yeah, well, well, they were complaining <laughs> even about the offshore ones, right? Really. So, um, yes, uh, and as um, they normally have, I think, for safety reasons, they normally have uh, wind turbines. Because of blade flow, blade throw problems, if they fail, they normally have the nearest residence is 200 metres away. Mm-hmm. Um, presently, wind uh, wind only provides a couple of percent of the world's electricity, but if it has to provide, say, 40 or 50 percent, mm-hmm. they're going to be a lot more intrusive. I mean, some people claim that there that there are health problems. Um, whether these are psychosomatic, the the medical profession uh, is a bit divided on this. Mm-hmm. And most think it's just um, it's uh, it's imaginary. 
Mm. Yeah, there was also a, um, a a huge solar farm by one of the world's a, a world company that builds them around the world, uh, proved in the New South Wales court just a week or two ago, uh, against a lot of objection from local farmers again in the area about its impact on the local community or. They, in Victoria? This was in New South Wales. No. It, it was the New South Wales court. But mm. um, again, there was objection because this is a huge farm it's, it, and it's taking up you know, lots of land. Well, uh, whereabouts? Do you remember? It, I can't remember. It's in New South Wales somewhere. But it's, uh, it was approved against, against a lot of opposition, but there were lots of conditions put on it including rehabilitation after they finish at the end and that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah, the last 20-odd years, although they, they, they may wish to repower it. Um, yeah, uh, taking up good farmland, although mm. it, you can, in fact, graze between the um, rows of the, uh, of the arrays, um, mm. but it, it's better in, in uh, semi-desert areas and so on. Mm. Um, it seems like yeah, there's really no type of energy that has absolutely no, no, no impact. There like there has to there has to be some impact for all types. Yeah, well, this this is it, and this is why we need to reduce our energy. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, like the, for transport, there's been I, I think I calculated in a paper I just published in National Journal of Hydrogen Energy that uh, since 1900, uh, world travel, uh, passenger travel, uh, vehicular passenger travel has increased by a factor of 225 times. Wow. That's huge. <laughs> uh, there was only a bit of train travel then. So it's been what, is, what has been called hypermobility. Mm. And, um, you know, we ask what, what for? I mean, even if you go back earlier in Australia, say 1947 at the time of that census, I mean, Australians didn't complain about being transport deprived. Mm. And yet now it's increased enormous. You know, it's several times higher. So what's going on? You know, um, what have we gained from that? Yeah. And I think this is what we're going to have to ask. It's a different way of of living. In other words, um, at present, what we do is we have a, uh, a market economy and it may or may not satisfy what humans really want, but that's the way we do it, right? And we put up with it. But um, there are other ways of... Uh, of arranging the way that we provision ourselves and socialise and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting on to well, very briefly, Paddy, hydrogen. There's been a lot of move on it. I noticed Tasmania's investing, Tasmanian government wants to invest $50 million in a green hydrogen export plan um, it's talking about, which is providing lots of money for industry, of course. Um, but they and they they say because because of their hydro etc down in Tassie, they can do it without causing any CO two emissions at all because it'll all be they'll get the hydrogen. Offset, get the, well, no, the hydrogen will be got by Through using the water by and by using um, by using renewable energy. Not because um, oh, one right. of the problems with yeah. one of the problems with hydrogen obviously is that it that the process of getting it creates CO two emissions. Of course. Well, the other yeah. thing is that it's not so. Um, it, uh, we don't use the the hydro from Tasmania, as you know. There's a link with Victoria. What it means is Victoria will have to will have to produce uh, burn more mm. brown coal if Tasmania decides <laughs> to, to, to export hydrogen to South Korea or or, or Japan. Mm. These are the two countries that are looking at a hydrogen economy. In fact, um, if we do have the games this year, and that's open to question in in Tokyo, um, mm. you know they wanted to have it as a hydrogen showcase, you know, buses and all this sort of thing. And in fact, Western Australia was talking about exporting um, hydrogen to um, to Japan. Mm. Uh, you you can use hydrogen for um, for uh, stationary fuel cells as well, for stationary energy sources for uh, houses and so on. But um, 
Look, given uh, uh, what we're trying to avoid at, at present is what, what has increasingly called catastrophic climate change. And we have about 10 years to do that. And neither hydrogen nor electric vehicles or any of these fixes are going to work in that time, right? They have a much longer time frame, several decades. The thing we can do fast is actually reduce energy and, and therefore its emissions, right? And that's what we have to concentrate on. Yeah. No, we've got to change the way we live. Well, Tassie, the Tassie government, which is a Liberal government, of course, says it uh, expects to be fully powered by renewables by 2022. That's two years' time. They claim they'll be totally renewable. How about, but, we'll, I mean, they've always, they've always been... I think they were... If you count hydro as a renewable, then they have been in the past completely renewable. Yeah, yeah. so uh, so we're way um, ahead, way ahead of the way ahead of the pack. There, go Tassie. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, of course you're a Tassie. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not biased at all. <laughs> yeah, well, well, the other countries that have hydro, uh, Norway and Iceland, are similarly um, pushing. Well, Norway is the world's. Uh, leading electric vehicle user right. uh, as a percentage, I think about thirty percent of the vehicles on the road now are uh, are electric. And mm. and uh, Iceland at one stage wanted to move to a hydrogen economy. Both uh, New, uh, Iceland and Norway produce almost one hundred percent renewable mm. electricity. Right, uh, Iceland has uh, geothermal power, of course, as well mm. as hydro because it's on the mid oceanic ridge. And a lot of volcanoes and that sort of stuff. We're out of time, Patrick. We've run out of time chatting okay. away here. But um, <laughs> look, thanks for coming on this morning and thanks, um, and go back to work so you can have more to talk to us about next time. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Patrick. <laughs> okay. Bye thanks, Patty. <laughs> Patty Moriarty there, who's out at Monash, uh, Professor Moriarty these days. And. Uh, he um, he's always in gives he's got a lot of he's got a lot of, yeah. lot of knowledge about a lot of different energy related issues. He's one engineer who isn't just bent on building roads and things; he's bent on tearing them up almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. our kind of engineer. Thanks a lot. Next week is housing, a regular housing segment, and um, and thank Karina and tell her we're good to see her back. Karina, we're really happy to have you back. Thank you for doing thank such a you. good panel. Thank you for thanking me every <laughs> single time. <laughs> You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.